I was on the welcome desk this morning, and uh, this way of introducing today's sermon has come from God's providence. And it's not meant to embarrass anyone, so a couple of people have said, uh, look, so you know, welcomers, welcome team, someone's car in the car park has a flat tyre. Now, um, if, we find, if you find out that's your car, um, here's, here's why I think that's a helpful thing that we know that. It can be awkward, and you'll see in the service sheet on page five, there's an outline. So I didn't know what to sort of start with this morning. I said to Amy last night, I know that the scene in John 13 is awkward, and often it can be awkward to receive help. Well, here's the illustration given to us. It can be awkward to receive help from someone else, can't it? You can feel embarrassed. There is a car with a flat tyre, and if you're new to reforming, let me tell you, if a moment like that happens and you work out that's your car, it might be my car, I don't know, it can be hard to receive help, but reforming are going to jump to help you. Now, you might find you just love changing tyres and you can do it, that's fine. But I want to recognise in the moment when you have a flat tyre, a simple thing like that, it can be hard to receive help. And let me tell you a story, what happened to us in our recent holidays. I drive an old Hilux ute. It's not that old. I think it's the hottest ute in town. I'm pretty proud of my little Hilux. We always take it up to the farm when we go on holidays to see my parents because the farm track, which is a winding road of two kilometres, is atrocious, basically. It needs some work and I need to help my parents with that, but there's a whole complicated set of reasons why it hasn't been fixed in about 25 years. It currently resembles a creek bed, which is why we take the Hilux, because it would kill the other car. We take the Hilux every time this happens, every time we take it. We go up there, and it might be in the Woolworths car park at Tamora, it might be in the Bendigo Woolworths car park. I get a flat tyre every single time. Thank you, Bob Jane. There's another few hundred bucks. Every time from that track, from that road, it's just what happens. This time, it happened on the highway. We're driving along between Ardlethan and Tamora, and I hear a whirring, a rumbling sound. And if you know like, what it's like to be, you know, you want the radio, then you always want to be listening to the vehicle. I so say, something's wrong. Air intake's off. Something's wrong. Turbo's off. Something's wrong. And all of a sudden, Bang! Yeah, that's what's wrong. <laughs> and it's the vehicle, I'm trying to pull it over, and it's like trying to pull up a horse that's sort of gone straight. I'm grabbing the steering wheel and I'm pulling it over. Thankful to the Lord, it was all safe. I jump outside in 42 degrees heat, and there's flies everywhere, and there's a shredded tyre. But I think, no worries, because I'm an Australian male. <laughs> and so I'm prepared. I've got two toolboxes, everything I need. I go to the toolbox, pull out the jack, it's a trolley jack, useless. It will not stay, there's a leak. Ah! I pull out the second jack, which is another little hydraulic jack, also useless. Wants to keep falling over on the gravel and the, and the table drain. I then go for the, 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 the factory jack, also useless. And at this time, when I'm thinking, I can solve this, I can fix this, Someone else pulls up behind, puts their hazards lights on. And you know, my first thought is, one of pride, I don't need help. This bloke gets out, he's in bare feet. (laughs) 
He walks across, you know, if you know the table drain, the gravel on the side of the road, it's got those sharp rocks. I'm in my boots. He's walking across, t-shirt, shorts, right, bare feet, and says, you want some help? And every fibre in my being wanted to say, no, I'm all good. But I look at Amy (laughs) and our three kids in the heat and flies, and I go, yeah, I thought I had this, but thank you, yes, thank you, yep. And in a jiffy, he helps me. A jiffy is an Australian term. A very quick moment, he helped me. It can be hard receiving help. For me in that moment, it was awkward. Have you ever had one of those awkward moments where someone has served you, they've helped you, and you thought, I've got this, I can do this? Have you had one of those awkward moments? Maybe you'll have one today. I have them all the time. This is John 13. This is the scene before us in John 13. It is an awkward moment. An awkward moment for the disciples because Jesus serves them. Have a look in John 13. Start at verse 1. When you look at John 13 verses 1 to, say, 3, this scene is set before us. There's a table. Everything's in order. It's supper. It's dinner. And Jesus and his disciples are doing what they've done many times together. They're eating together. But the way that John writes, John 13, verse 1 to 3, in those first three verses, he is giving us every reason in the universe to show that Jesus is the one who should be served. So in the first three verses of this scene, it's dinner, it's supper, Jesus. But you look at those first three verses, full of reasons why Jesus should be the one that everyone should be going low, bowing down, worshipping and serving him. Look at the reasons there. Verse 1. John 13 verse 1 is a hinge point in John's gospel. This is the point where we see Jesus, which we just sung about in the Humble One song, he loved them to the end. In other words, everything up until now, Jesus has loved them to the end. And why is John 13 verse 1 the end? Because the verse is saying the end has come. This is it. This is the night. The end has come for Jesus. He has loved them to the end. He has never given up on loving them. And look at him. Look at the one who loves them to the end. We look at verse 1. Now, before the feast of the Passover, Jesus knew his hour had come to depart from the world to the Father. Jesus is going to the Father because Jesus is God the Son. And the hour has come for God the Son. Verse 2. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Notice this. Verse 2. John is writing, Jesus is going to be betrayed by Judas Iscariot. Yes, we know it's Judas who betrays Jesus, but look at this. And let the readers of the book of Genesis understand. This is not just a betrayal of a friend or a disciple. Look at this. What is going on here? We remember Genesis? Who is the great enemy of the one who's going to be the offspring, the serpent crusher. He is betrayed ultimately by the plans of that ancient serpent who is the devil. Jesus is going to be the promised serpent crusher and the cosmic competition between good and evil is now started in this moment, highlighting who Jesus is. 
Verse 3, Jesus, knowing that God the Father had given all things into his hands, he'd come from God, he's going back to God. Verse 3 is saying, do you see who this is? This is the one of heavenly origins. This is the one who has the all-access pass to heaven. This is the one who is the king who loves his subjects to the end that he's going to die for them. This is the one whom God the Father has put all things in his hands. In other words, they're having supper. They're sitting with the one who deserves to be served. And yet, verse 4, the weirdest thing happens. Because the one who is the God-man, the one who is the Lord, what does he do? He rises up and you would think, if the king is rising up, what should happen next? He deserves to be enamored and worshipped and praised. And what does he do? He rises up, he takes off his good clothes and he gears up like a cleaner. He gears up to be a servant. There's no grand announcement There's no parade, no pomp and ceremony. I used this illustration a few weeks ago. It's like me as a husband. Here's where where I fail as a husband, um, but where I think I'm I'm doing great things. You know, like us us husbands, us men. if If you're a better man than me, this is not about you, of course. This is about me. But what often happens is I'm having my coffee that's, you know, my wife makes for me because she, she knows how to do that and I need to learn those things. My coffee. What do I do? I drink my coffee and I go back and I set the dishwasher there, but then I, I set a bench on top of the dishwasher and I just go for the easy low-hanging fruit and I put the cup there and I say, oh, Amy, I put my cup on the bench above the dishwasher. I want to have pomp and ceremony when I think I do a good thing. That's not even the best thing. I couldn't put it in the dishwasher. That would be the easiest thing. Notice Jesus. Jesus gets up and doesn't say, now I'm going to wash your feet. He does it without pomp, ceremony or announcement. He just does it. And as he washes their feet, he dries their feet with a towel that is attached to his body. How close do you have to be to dry people's feet when the towel is wrapped around you? How close do you have to be in the dirt and the action to do that? Now these are men with dusty feet, to be sure, but it's not just dust. You know, we can easily sanitize it. Oh yes, it must have been a dusty situation. These are the ways, these are the highways and the bows. Whatever your wheels on your car drive over that would pop them, Whatever you would walk across with your shoes and not notice, they walk across and it very much gets amongst their toes. Animal waste. Anything that's perhaps on the street, human waste, the waste and the grit and the dirt and the mud, that's on their feet. And Jesus gets down in the dirt and he washes them. Normally you'd wash people's feet by someone else, a servant doing it, but Jesus does it. And as Jesus does this, verse 6, Peter says something. I love Peter. Like I want to mention my own failures regularly and get to know me, I've got a whole bunch, how long you got. But I like Peter because Peter's my kind of spokesperson. Like Peter speaks for me. 
Because he asks the dumb questions. He says the dumb things that I would say in the moment. When I don't kind of fully get what's going on, you know, we all need Peter, don't we? Because probably there's a whole bunch of other disciples going, I don't know what's going on here, but Peter, uh, Jesus is washing my feet. It's quite awkward right now. Peter's the one that says something. I'm going to say something. So Peter says, verse 6, Lord, do you wash my feet? Like, it is actually. You know, there's no such thing as a dumb question, but it is a dumb question because he is washing people's feet. So, yes, he will. Um, but he's struggling to understand, and Jesus answered him, what I'm doing, you don't understand now, verse 7, but afterwards you'll understand. Jesus is very kind, very caring. I know you don't understand, Peter. I know you're struggling with this, but you'll understand, and we know that Peter will understand when he sees the cross. But for now, Peter doesn't get it. Verse 8, Peter says, You will never wash my feet. Never is a strong word, Pete. Peter's always doing that, isn't he? I'll never deny you. Well, well, well. I'll never do that. Well, you might. You know, it's possible. You'll never wash my feet. What's Peter's struggle here? It's that struggle of understanding what Jesus is saying, what he's doing. Others in John's Gospel struggle too. Think of Nicodemus. John 3, what was Nicodemus' struggle? Jesus saying, you need to be born again. Nicodemus is like, no, I'm very religious. I go to church on Sundays. Well, Christmas and Easter. A lot of Australians are like that, aren't they? I'm, I'm a, you know, your grandmother dies. What do we say? Oh, she was very religious. She was once... Presbyterian even. Like God's like, great. That's all I needed. <laughs> Jesus says, no, you need to be born again. And Nicodemus is like, what in the world? Like go through a mother's womb, you know? And Jesus is like, oh, anatomy lesson. I don't need to use finger puppets, but let me explain it. You need to actually be spiritually renewed inside out. Nicodemus doesn't get it. Who else doesn't get it in John's gospel? Peter. And he's a disciple. But we struggle with things too, don't we? There's a whole Christian sect that today um, believes that you, in the Lord's Supper you actually eat and drink Jesus' body and blood. And there's a whole bunch of people, just like Peter, that think all Jesus is doing is telling us to wash feet. And Jesus has to kindly and graciously explain. End of verse 8. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said, Lord, not only my feet, also my hands and my head. So Peter's all in now. Still not quite getting it. Because what Jesus is showing, yeah, I'm washing your feet. It's not about just... just carbon copy, copy paste, wash my feet and then, you know, like if you just wash people's feet all your life then you'll get to heaven. Jesus is not saying that. Jesus is saying this what he's doing is symbolic of what he's going to do at the cross that he has come to make us clean from our sins not just the waste on the road but our sins in our walk of life 
To have your feet washed by Jesus is to get this, to have your share in the forgiveness of sins, Peter. To have your share that his death is what you need. His serving you on the cross is what you need. We all need cleaning, don't we? Just as much as we all feel it awkward to receive help, we all have sin and shame. I was reading lately about a a new centre for apologetics and they're saying, you know, people don't believe in sin anymore. We don't, Christendom's gone, we don't believe in sin, we don't believe in right and wrong and and, um, therefore the church has no idea how we're going to explain Jesus to this world anymore. And and in parts you can see, well, pockets of society, yes. And then we watched a movie, Spirited, with Ryan Reynolds and Will Ferrell and the whole movie was about right and wrong. The whole movie by Hollywood, by the, the makers and influencers of our society was all about right and wrong and going to heaven. I think people do have a very hardwired framework of understanding right and wrong. I think a lot of people, and if you scratch beneath the surface of our lives, me too, a lot of people have shame. A lot of people have a, a shame. We, we feel unclean. We need to be clean. Our conscience cleansed, our lives clean. Jesus has come to make us clean. And if we don't receive that cleansing by faith in him, Jesus says, we have no share in salvation. Jesus explains that by being spiritually clean, you need to trust in him cleaning you by his cross. Verse 10, Jesus said to him, the one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet is completely clean and you are clean. He's saying, you are clean because I'm going to die for you. But then he says, not every one of you. For verse 11, he knew who was going to betray him. Jesus knows who's in the room, Judas. And here's what's extraordinary. Although Judas is not going to be spiritually clean because Judas does not turn, repent and trust in Jesus for his salvation, Jesus still washes his feet. Jesus washes the feet of the one who will turn around that night and kiss him on the cheek to betray him to death. Jesus washes the feet of his enemy. And as Jesus does that, this is the second point you see in the outline, Jesus is the most excellent example. Verse 12, When he washed their feet, he put on his outer garments, resumed his place, and he said to them, Do you understand what I've done to you? And they're all going, "Um, uh, not really. So Jesus teaches them, verse 13, You call me teacher and Lord, you're right, for so I am. But if I then your Lord, which means ruler, if I your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. Now what is Jesus saying? You need to see this first. First, this is symbolic of cleansing at the cross. That's how you get salvation, a share in salvation. Once you trust in Jesus and are saved, secondly, now you can live like Jesus. So John's Gospel, think believe. We believe in Jesus and then think that word, believe. We believe in Jesus and then we be living like Jesus. Not the other way around. You don't go and live like Jesus and just you know, kind of live like him and then hopefully you'll get to heaven. You trust in him for your salvation. 
first. You believe in him, upon him, and then you'd be living like him. And this is the second point. Jesus is saying, once you believe in me, now be living like me. And that means washing one another's feet. Now, I grew up in a church denominational background where some of our churches literally were foot-washing churches. So some churches believe we, we must literally wash one another's feet. We took it literally. But what we see here is Jesus speaking about an example. That's the word he uses. He doesn't give us a commissioning command to the level of a sacrament. The sacraments we have are a means of grace. And Jesus gives those commands for the church to do. And how do we know that we're to do them? How do we know that we, we just have two in the Protestant church, and any Protestant church just has two? is baptism and Lord's Supper. Why just those two? Because they're the only commands of Jesus that he shows are a means of grace and the rest of the New Testament, the apostles expound upon them and say we have to do them. But the apostles don't expound upon foot washing. The Old Testament foreshadowing foreshadows baptism and Lord's Supper, but it doesn't doesn't foreshadow this. The apostles do not instruct the church to be a foot washing church. No, no, the instruction for foot washing from Jesus is more like when Jesus says in Matthew 16, take up your cross and follow me. It does not mean literally at the end of our service, we're going to send you out for your week of scent worship and you'll get a big heavy wooden cross. And for those of you who are capable, we might cut you up a little bit and nail you to it and then you're going to drag it around town, grab a coffee with a cross. We don't take that literally. We know what that means when Jesus says, take it across and follow. We know what it means when Jesus says, you must wash one another's feet. What does it mean? You need to serve one another. Like Jesus. Jesus says in verse 16, truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is no greater than his master. It's true, isn't it? A servant is no greater than his master, nor a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. So the question is, how? How do we do this? Well, the Bible does give us a myriad of ways. The apostles, as they write the New Testament, they don't tell us to literally foot wash, but they do tell us to literally do a whole bunch of other things to serve one another with love. This week, um, Lord willing, there's going to be a podcast we'll provide and a group guide, and we're going to dig into the second half of John 13 in our groups or our personal devotions. But for now, I want you to go to verse 34. Because Jesus puts meat on the bones of this. He shows us what it means. Jesus, in his most excellent example of serving, shows what is the heart of such service in verse 34 with a commandment. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Notice, not this, not criticize one another. Not tear each other one down, not, you know, um, point the finger at one another, that you love one another, just as I have loved you, so you are also to love one another. By this, all people will know you are my disciples if you have loved one another. What is the way in which we are to serve? It's love. Jesus is teacher and Lord of the universe, and yet he is the extraordinary example. 
He is for us what becomes an awkward application. See, what it means to be a follower of Jesus means to be a servant. Not my personal preferences are not being met. Not what I want to have happen around here should happen around here. No, no, no. That is not the way of a disciple. Because a servant is not greater than their master. Friends, none of us can claim to be greater than Jesus. I'd like to say, can I get an amen? I'd hope that you would believe that. None of us can claim to be greater than Jesus. Here's my question. Why could we ever think that serving one another in some ministry of love can ever be beneath us? Let me say that again. Because none of us are greater than Jesus, why can any of us ever think that serving one another in love is ever beneath us? Because it was never beneath Jesus. Do you see? When it was never beneath Jesus our Lord, none of us can claim it is beneath us. Just as I loved you, he says, you are to love one another. Now the disciples don't understand yet until they see the cross. Because the cross makes everything clear. They feel it's awkward that the Lord of the universe is washing their feet. Well, wait till you see what he does on a cross. It's awkward that he took off his outer garments. Wait till you see him naked and strung up on a cross. Then you'll understand what love looks like. Friends, listen to this carefully. And if you're listening online, there is no way you will understand Christianity without the cross. There is no way you will understand Jesus without the cross. Christianity is all about powerful humility because that is the power of the cross. The shape of discipleship, of following Jesus, is cruciform. And Jesus says, this is all about scripture being fulfilled. Third and last point. You see this? Jesus washes their feet, sets an example. Now he speaks of who is clean and who is not clean and how the scripture is to be fulfilled. We see this uh, in verse 18. I'm not speaking of all of you. I know whom I've chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. Now, all the apostles follow Jesus' example. They're sent and they're blessed. But there's one of them, of course, who is not, and that's Judas. And here, Jesus quotes our cross-reference passage, which is from Psalm 41. Yanka read that. Jesus quotes Psalm 41. In verse 9, even my close friend, whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me. In Psalm 41, David, who writes that, is a sufferer at the hands of someone who betrays him. When we see John 13, this is Judas and Jesus. And, and we see Judas is actually moved by Satan, who is the spirit of pride. You know where pride comes from? That is not the Holy Spirit. Pride is not a fruit of the Spirit. It is a fruit of Satan. Whereas Jesus is not moved by that Spirit. He's moved by God himself. And how does he move? In humility. 
opposite to pride. Judas is selfish, but Jesus serves others. And the psalmist foreshadows someone who is righteous and suffers injustice. And like every psalm, every psalm is fulfilled in Jesus. Jesus is teaching his disciples before it's about to happen so they can see who he is. Verse 19, I'm telling you this now, before it takes place, when it does take place, you may believe I am he. Notice this, he's saying about the cross. And when you see the cross, I am he. He's using the language of God when God reveals himself to Moses. I am. I am God and God is humble and goes to a cross. There are whole religions that find that abhorrent and they cannot wrap their head around it. Let me tell you, there are Christians who still struggle to believe it. How do you know this? Because they will not be humble. They will not, in humility, serve others with love. That's because they don't understand Jesus at all. You need to look at the God-man the one who is the I am, who chooses not to have I go in front of him, but who says, you, I serve you with love. Verse 20, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me. Would you receive Jesus and live like that? Because Jesus God, whoever receives this message in John's gospel, receives God himself into their life, into your life. And Jesus is showing us, John is showing us in this gospel, even as Judas plots Jesus' death, we get to see that Jesus goes to die for what reason? To show us that love goes low. So that we would believe in Jesus and be like the Lord Jesus. Now, friends, what does this mean for us today? Reforming church, what does this mean for us now? It means that love does go low like the Lord Jesus. See, when you look at Jesus here, the way he goes about his service of others, he commands us to do the same. It would be easy for us to think, yeah, you know what, that's for those people over there. Like, that's for those other people who do those other jobs around here. But Jesus says, this is for all of you. I don't see the part where it says, well, you know, I don't like doing that job, so I don't have to do that kind of way of loving. I don't see that. I just really struggle seeing that part. I don't see where it says, I'm not gifted at loving others. That's not my spiritual gift. Really? Let's just see where that's not quite here. Now, some of us might also think, well, what Jesus is offering is the worst recruitment program I've ever seen. Like, can you imagine if you wanted to start a worldwide movement with billions of followers, would you say, let's do it this way, wash people's feet, serve others with love? You'd say, well, the job is kind of a stinker, isn't it? Would you set up a recruit program this way? Jesus says, this is the way of the cross. See, Jesus does the weirdest thing in John 13 by washing the disciples' feet, and yet it's the wonderful thing. Because at the end of the Gospel, the one who cleanses us, he makes us clean in God's sight to be clean forever so we can be like him. We're going to sing a song in a moment. What love, my God, would bring you down to earth 
what king would take a low and lonely birth? Who would do that? This is our God. This is the one who's worthy of our worship. Jesus comes to love us and then he leads us with love. And I think this is a few implications for us as a church. And I want to speak to our church leadership and all those who aspire to leadership. Firstly, I want you to do something you might find a little bit strange to start with. We're Presbyterians, not that strange. It's as strange as Presbyterians get. I want you to look in your service sheet on page six. And you'll see a picture there. And next to that picture, can you see what that picture's about? It is something extraordinary around here. It's called the church cleaning roster. You see, I think it'd be easy for us to go, yeah, we don't need to wash people's feet because, you know, it's not command, it's not commission. The modern day way we wash one another's feet is how? We clean the floor we walk on. That's how we do it. Because let me tell you, that is the lowliest job around here and I know some of us don't want to do it. I know we'd rather not. Now, I want to say, firstly, straight out the gate, reforming, reforming members and adherents. And if you'd like to become a member or you're not sure about membership and one of the ways you can kind of put your toe in the water and be part of our church life and serving is to be an adherent. Talk to our elders about it. But I want to say to our members and adherents, thank you. Like, look at me. Genuinely thank you. Thank you for serving one another, loving by going low, and cleaning reforming house. You might think it's not noticed. It is. Because I see it at the end of a Sunday. We're usually here till two or sometimes five. Big rich Sundays, family life, that's what happens here. And at the end of that day, this place is like one big popcorn fest. Well, it's, just, it's, just, it's just mess everywhere. I sit at the end of a Sunday, and then sometimes I come back later in the week or Sunday morning, and you might notice, why, this place is spotless. How did that happen? Because people went low, and they loved. Now, this is only one example, friends, but I think Jesus gives us the most excellent example. It's just one example, is cleaning. Now, I know it's not everybody's cup of tea. Right now, I hear the objections. Oh, I can't, I'm sick, I'm sore, or something else. I get it. It's not everyone's cup of tea. Not everyone can. But listen to this, friends. Listen to this carefully. Jesus' example has real implications for us. Everyone serves here. And when it comes to the cleaning roster, literally everyone is encouraged. Every member or adherent is encouraged to serve, including the pastor. Go and look at the cleaning roster. We bring our kids. We make it a fun day. You think it's not fun? It can be fun. The elders serve in this way. Everyone who's a member here can serve in this way. We even make it easier for you. We get light brooms or stick vacuum cleaners. You can wipe tables. I know it's not your cup of tea. Listen to this. If you desire leadership here, the way in which we're going to see anyone join in a leadership team, we're going to first notice, do you go low with love to start with? There's no point desiring leadership. If you desire eldership, you desire a noble task. But if you want to be an elder or a leader in any particular way, board of management, whatever it is, if you are not willing to go low and serve others, you're not ready to lead. 
And if you're not willing to do that without an announcement or pronouncement or a parade or pomp and ceremony, look what I'm doing. I did it once. You are not ready to lead. Leadership is going low like a servant, like Jesus. And if you want to lead, you need to be ready to serve in that roster with joy. Peter writes to his fellow elders, not domineering, not begrudgingly, but with joy. Now, I know some of you have all sorts of stuff on in life, but here's, here's the thing. If you can clean your toilet after you do a poo, you can probably clean here too. It's that level of skill set. I know I said poo in a sermon. Beyond Life FM, I'll get emails. Look at Jesus. Leaders go low. Leadership is love. And love goes low. It is not for nothing that we put that cleaning roster there in the same spot on the service sheet where it says our servant leaders and it has our elders and our board of management, our staff. Leadership goes low and serves others. It does it without question, without grumbling, without pomp, announcement, nor ceremony. And if Jesus can do it, we can do it too. Jesus here himself is close to his death. What do you think you'll be concerned about on your deathbed? I've seen many a person on their deathbed. I've been there. I've been in the room, the hospice, the hostel, the hospital, the aged care home. What are people concerned about on their deathbed? It's, yeah, it's their immediate family, it's themselves and what's going to happen next. Look at Jesus. What is he concerned about on his deathbed? Us! Others, serving them. Leadership is love. One of our brothers, forgive me for an extra couple of minutes, but one of our brothers, one of our fellow elders, Cam, we announced this morning that he's having a sabbatical arrest from serving as an elder. Cam needs a rest. Now we have precedent for this. If you were around a few years ago, you remember that I had some stress load and I had a rest too. For four weeks. We're giving Cam six months. He's still on the team, but we're giving him a warm robe, some water, and a breather on the sidelines on the bench. And then he's going to come back and play very soon. He's he's still on the team. But he serves people with love. When you serve people with love and you actually care for people, the load increases and increases and increases. And he's at his own demands of work and all sort of stuff. It just it just gets big. What is my point? We're going to rest Cam. Thank him for his service, care for him, pray for him. But also, friends, our church cannot possibly rely upon all the love and care of just just three or four elders doing all the care of how are you going and serving you. It's just, it's just hard and difficult. We would love to see a church that loves one another, looks out for one another, and gladly says, can I join the serving roster? Can I serve? So it's not the same few doing the same jobs every week and burning out till we've got to give them rest. And not just going for the high big jobs. But the ones that are unseen, the many jobs that Cam often did around here. Leadership is love. 
You want to be a disciple of Jesus? The word literally means learner. Learn how to love and serve like him. And to love one another just as Jesus loved us. Friends, I'd like us, before we pray, to dream for a moment. Would you dream with me? We're not going to go to sleep or nothing. It's not weird. I want you to dream that we would in a moment then pray about it. Here's the dream. Imagine. Just imagine with me for a moment what this could look like. Imagine that we had a kids' church ministry that is busting at the seams with kids, but is not busting at the seams with people ready to serve them and lead them and love them. But imagine we had a kids' church ministry, a creche, that if many more of us served... And if I'm not preaching, which is very rare and occasional sometimes, but I, I, I want to serve there too. But imagine if we served and we had more of us, you would only need to serve once a term. Imagine a moment we could get to our church life where so many of us served on the creche or in the kids' church, we only had to do it once a term. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Imagine you served not just because you were told to serve, but because you looked at Jesus and thought, what a privilege that I can help little disciples grow into be big disciples who actually love Jesus too and know his love for them. What a privilege that is that you made that difference in their life for eternity. Imagine our youth group. Right? Dream of a ministry where teenagers are so commonly growing up in homes these days who don't hear about Jesus, not the real Jesus, but they come to a youth group and imagine they get to meet him in the Bible because people put up their hands and say, I want to serve. Giving up Friday night is no easy task. And then imagine our churches are full of future leaders. Where are they going to come from, by the way? Where are the future leaders of this church coming from? Those rooms. From kids' church and youth group. You want to know the next generation of churches? It's disciples being made there. And imagine our welcoming team, that we welcome someone another one so well. It wasn't just the welcome desk, but we welcome one another by thinking, if I just got here a little bit earlier, and I, 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 I got here and I was able to welcome one another and, and walk across the room to someone I don't know and ask them, who are you? Can I welcome you? Can I serve you? We actually do this a lot, and I think it's one of the things that's wonderful about reforming. Imagine it just keeps happening more and more. Imagine if we could serve on the media team or music team or the cafe team. Imagine we could host a group or lead one. Imagine if we could meet with someone one-to-one, even occasionally, to read the Bible, have a coffee, and then pray for one another. Imagine we could, with all humility and patience, love others who are not criticizing each other or tearing down each other, but serving each other with all their different interests. Imagine that our default was not pride, not comparing ourselves to one another, not pointing out others' mistakes and failings and weaknesses, but rather with wonder, eager to listen and love and serve one another. Imagine that. Imagine if we looked at one another's needs, struggles, and then prayed for them. Right there. Imagine a church where we realise the needs of others are greater than, yes, the elders and leaders and all of us. We, we just love one another. We just lay our lives down and serve. Friends, we live in a world out there, and maybe you're watching online and you know this, you get this. We live in a world that is desperate for that kind of community. 
We live in a world that is desperate for that kind of love. And you know where they can find it? We got it right here. Because he is here. Jesus washed feet. We can clean up. We can wipe tables or change nappies or stack dishwashers. We can change a tire in the car park, sweep floors, serve others. We can do a myriad of things. Because he loved us and showed us how. Let's pray. Let's pray we will. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for him who loved us, who served us, who laid his life down for us. And Father, we want to say for our church community, we are grateful. We are thankful that we have seen a culture of Christ that we've prayed for as a church grown among us, that we do serve one another in this way. And we pray that more and more this would be how you work among us, that we would believe in Jesus and be living like Jesus. We pray that it would not be our default position to question, criticise or just be a consumer, but that we would be a contributor who serves others by going low with love. Thank you for Jesus that he did so for us on the cross. And thank you that we can now do that and practice these things and all the more so that we progress and grow to be more like Jesus as we believe in him, even as a church right now this morning. We thank you and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.